0: Deus God and Mary to you. You're listening to the Meditation and Mental Prayer podcast, episode five. How to do mental prayer with Saint Ignatius Loyola. My name is Christabel Pankhurst. I'm a Catholic school teacher of Catholic theology and an author of the Meditation and Mental Prayer journals. How to do mental prayer according to St Ignatius Loyola. Now, the question has been asked, was St Teresa of Villa the only one who had a system of mental prayer? And of course the answer is no. St Ignatius Loyola wrote a book called The Book of the Spiritual Exercises, which were a result of his own experiences on his journey to sainthood. These spiritual exercises written about approximately 600 years ago are still used today in Catholic Ignatian retreats and they are so good. They are so good for helping you get further along the road in holiness. The spiritual exercises work much the same as the steps of the Tarasian method does. The idea of the work is to help the aspirant to find out what the will of God is in regard to his future and to give him energy and courage to follow God's will. Now these exercises are a four-week guided meditation process. Uh, The first week focuses on sin and its consequences. The second week focuses on Christ's life on earth. And the third week on his passion and death. The fourth week of meditations dwells on the risen life of Jesus. St. Ignatius says, Man was created for this end, to praise, reverence and serve the Lord his God, and by this means to arrive at eternal salvation. These three truths are, I come from God, I belong to God, I am destined for God. Also, Ignatius advocates certain number of instructions, and these are known as rules or additions. There are 10 additions. Really, they're not meant to bog you down because there's 10 of them. When you see them, you realise that they're just his instructions to his priests on how to stay on track. That's really what it's about. You engage with St Ignatius's guided meditations. You have to agree. These were directed by Divine Grace when he first wrote them. It's very difficult in words to describe the depth of the spirituality that are contained in these exercises because it's only when you start doing them that you're, well, can I say, blown away? The first thing St. Ignatius does is he leads you in deep examination of conscience and then meditation on the essence of God and then contemplation on Jesus Christ. That's how they work. Ignatius recognized. That in order for us to become saints, the empire of sin had to be destroyed in our hearts. I love the way the old books describe it as the empire of sin. Before stepping onto the road of sainthood, Ignatius realised that men had to sin no more. Remember what Jesus said? Go and sin no more. So that's what's being said to us in these meditations. Ignatius begins with the examination of ourselves. We look at our thoughts, our works, our actions. And when we examine these against the commandments of God and the church, we'll realise how our behaviour is set against divine laws. This exercise Ignatius calls the examination. He recommends this above everything else. In this examination, although it is very serious, Ignatius warns us against indulging in scruples. First of all, we go directly to our dominant sin or vice in our character. And to better overcome our vices, really begin by isolating them. I attended Dominican college at Fort William in Belfast in the 1950s. And we had a nun, God-lover, called Mother Raymond. May Lord, the Lord have mercy on her soul. Now, she told us that if you want to chop a bundle of sticks, trying to do so while they're still tied together is nearly impossible. And so it would be wise to separate them out and apply the hatchet to one at a time. Now she said that was the way to overcome our sins, separately and one at a time. Now to continue with Ignatius, he advises that in the morning you decide which of your vices you want to avoid above all the rest. Every time during the day you see yourself commit this particular fault, you have to offer up to God your repentance. Now to really engrave it on your mind that something has happened, you should carry out a small action that brings to your mind that you have done wrong and you have apologised to God for it. Uh, some of the priests would, uh, that have done this would advise putting your hand on your heart in such a way that no one observes you. Now, in the afternoon or at night, you review your day, and you count how many failures you've had during the day. I remember being surprised reading that Padre Pio required his penitents to number their sins, you know, if you did, I lied. Well, how many times did you lie? Or something worse. And I just find that very daunting and thought, well, I just would never go to him for confession. It would be too difficult. But I can see that, gosh, each sin has to be confessed. It's not like you can really bundle them all together when you're confessing them either. But however, I have read in his book that Anthony Mary Claret checked his behaviour on the hour, every hour when he would hear the church bells toll. Also in the film The Nun's Story, the nun herself constantly carried a little black book with her and she'd write into that all the faults that she had committed as soon as she committed them. I tried that, but it didn't work because I tried to I tried to write my sins in code and then couldn't remember the code that I had applied to the different words. Anyway, so it didn't work. Gave up on it. But anyway, you write down the results of your examination of conscience and you recall your results and progress from the day before or the week before. Uh, You really do need to see that you are getting better, that you're progressing in holiness. And, you know, I find this is a good time uh, to use our um, journals that we produce, Meditation and Mental Prayer. Mother Raymond taught us that we should view our spiritual life like a bank balance and she must have got the idea from St Ignatius who said we must eradicate all faults and cultivate the opposite virtues in the same way a merchant views his credits and losses in his bank balance. To examine our conscience we look at the commandments of God and the church and the principal duties of our state in life. We ask ourselves what does this commandment or this duty require of me? In what way have I been unfaithful? It is so important to feel genuine sorrow for those faults and omissions that we committed. Now, when we come to the meditation itself, the subject of the meditation should be divided into two or three points. And these are known as the prelude. We then picture in our imagination the scene, action or the mystery, whatever, that we will be able to converse with Jesus in a loving way, which would be the third way. The subject of the meditation should be divided into two or three points so that you, you're, you've you got two to three points to really think about. That part of the meditation is known as the prelude. We then picture in our imagination the scene, uh, bring that to mind, the action in what we're reading or even a mystery, if it's a mystery we're reading about. And then the third part is we converse with Jesus in a loving way about what we've read or what we we want to talk to him about. And to put that The way St. Ignatius would put it, and it's quite simple: the memory remembers two or three points we wish to consider. The imagination makes pictures of them, and then we love with our hearts Jesus Christ by first asking Him for the grace to become holy. All this is done in the active presence of Jesus Christ. So that's it, bound up very, very simply. And really, it links in with St. Teresa's way of doing things now. The Ignatian meditations that facilitate the mental prayer itself, they're grouped into three ways, as they're termed. So he called them three ways, the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. These are guides for going along the journey toward Jesus and identifying and labeling in a very scientific way what's happening. The actual centre of the meditation process, St. Ignatius describes in three simple parts. Before meditation, during meditation, after meditation. I made everything into about five points here and we will just look at them quickly. At the start of the meditation, that you really feel the truth of what you've chosen for your meditation in order that you'll be successful and that it will lead on into mental prayer. You're not academically studying but instead living the mystery. Number two, I've I've written down here, keep an awareness that this is about overcoming our vices and acquiring virtue. If we feel elevated in any way during any of the exercises, you really do have to take care. At least I find I do. Because you get so carried away at times that you make promises. Some of those are rash promises that you can't keep. I mean, I use my journal, Meditation and Mental Prayer journals, and I would usually write down one of these rash promises. And the reason I say the rash is because in a few weeks, I always go back over my journal to see what has happened. And I find these promises and I think, oh, no, of course, I've forgotten. If nothing really happens, if you don't get any consolations during the process, you have to wait and, and be patient wait on God. And they're called periods of dryness and loss of consolation. That's number three I've written here. Number four I've written, we end our meditation with mental prayer, which in this case is called calliloquies. These are what all the saints refer to as a familiar conversation with God. Personally, I call it respectful chatting to God. So now number five is about the calliloquies themselves. These calliloquies obviously are just little Prayers, talk, and deeper, deeper meditation of the soul with God, and they may be addressed to Father God, to Jesus, to the Holy Ghost, to the Blessed Virgin, and they may take place in any part of the meditation. And I think that's quite interesting because sometimes when you approach your meditation, thanksgiving has been put to the end in many, you know, in many of the systems. But you come into it and you think, Oh Lord, you know. I did so well yesterday and I thank you. So you begin to thank God at the very beginning of your meditation. And Saint Ignatius says this, that, you know, you can, when you feel inspired, you can move into the intimate prayer at any time or move around the the, the system as, as you get used to any of the systems. They're only for starting you off. But we need to acknowledge our mortal and venial sins and we need to ask for the grace for God to give us, to overcome them. We won't do it ourselves. I know we say, Lord, I won't do that again. And, you know, I promise I won't do that again. I'll really try. As I've discovered, and I think everybody else, you have to say, could you give me the grace? And even go deeper into the roots of it and say, can you give me the grace not to want to do it? The end of the time with God is spent saying the Our Father, the Hail Mary, or the Anima Christi. Now, in this episode, uh, we'll take a cursory look at one of the meditations in the purgative way. Before doing that, let's listen to the 10 editions. Here they are. These are given to all of St. Ignatius' followers. They are precise direction on how to prepare, the actions to follow, and how to behave during and after the meditations. So I'm going to be reading these. I've written here. Before listing these steps through meditation, I'll share with you the words of St. Ignatius that we today would call self-care. He warns that the length and number of meditations should take into consideration the age and health of those wishing to follow this method. Also, Ignatius is reported as saying, Let no one be burdened. Let each one do only what he can with profit, what he himself desires. He must never go beyond his strength or the grace of the moment, or go beyond the limits fixed for him by a prudent director, enlightened by experience. Okay then, so, the ten additions. Number one, prepare your morning meditation the night before. Decide what time you intend to get up, and just quickly remind yourself of the points of the piece you will do in your meditation in the morning. Secondly, when you awake, think only of the meditation. Do not allow any other thoughts and cares to fill your mind. Third, while dressing, focus on your sinfulness and pray with these sentiments. My Lord and King, I stand before you convicted of ingratitude. I am guilty of treason, of rebellion. For these I stand convicted before both you and the whole court of heaven. Behold me a criminal, deserving death, as I am led before my judge, loaded down with chains. Fourth, when you go to the place where you intend to do your meditation, mindfully and respectfully say the Our Father and bring yourself into the presence of God and acknowledge him in the room with you. Carry out an action of adoration. Kneel down or prostrate yourself or kneel extending your forehead to the ground or perhaps stand with your arms outstretched in the shape of a cross. Then take up the position you intend to do your meditation and mental prayer and calmly relax and carry out the meditation. Sixth, when you've finished your meditation, change your position and think about how successful the meditation was. If it was successful, ask yourself why and give thanksgiving to God for having such a really nice time with him and advancing, hopefully, in holiness. Now, if it was a failure, learn from what and why things went wrong. Say a short act of contrition for your mistakes. The last steps are really attached to making a retreat. It was these last steps really solidified the experience in the hearts and minds of the priests and lay people who enter into these enclosed silent retreats. Seventh, keeping sad because of your sins. He says here to lay aside all joyful thoughts. For instance, he says, thinking of the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't think of that. This thought would dry up your tears. This is whenever you're doing the first set. So you see, you should be shedding tears for your sins during these meditations. Okay, number eight. Shut out the daylight as much as to leave the room, only enough light to read and take meals by. There was usually somebody outside passing food into his parents. Right, number nine, make the following commitment. I will not look at anyone unless obliged to salute them or say adieu. Number 10, recommendations. And this is to do with the amount of penance that you do. And we'd look at that at a different time. Just looking back there on the idea that you won't laugh. Now, when I first read that, I thought, that's very draconian and then I thought, you know, there are times when laughter's not always the best medicine. Because whenever I worked in the city, I had a long drive. It was easy to say many, many rosaries along the way. But when I arrived at work and called into the office to pick up my mail, I would invariably chat to the secretaries and I'd tell them a joke. They would laugh, obviously with enjoyment, but at least one of them would take the Lord's name in vain. Because people do in Ireland, they, they do it a lot. And so coming from saying the rosary and feeling joyful and near to Our Lady and going into the office and becoming the reason or the cause of someone to commit sin, it wasn't a good feeling. And all I had been doing really was wanting to make people happy and brighten the day. But really, the saints would have known the first time that happened, never to let it happen again. Before I share with you one of St Ignatius' meditations, I have to warn you. That they penetrate very deeply into the soul. I have a friend who was a sinner, an ordinary sinner. She believed that whatever the world told her, it was okay to do. But she had a brother who was a priest. He was a traditional priest and he made her life very difficult. Every time he met her, he was wanting her to change her lifestyle and the way she behaved and the way she lived. In the end, she gave up and he signed her up for the spiritual exercises in a retreat. Now when she turned up she was expecting to join a group but for whatever reason she discovered she was the only one there. So she had the full attention of about three priests. When she and I talk about it she wonders whether or not it was done deliberately that she was on her own. Anyway she said that afterwards when she came out she was totally traumatized and that you really would need some psychological help. She was half joking but She just felt somebody should have been there to hold her up. Because it's not an ordinary retreat where there's chit-chat and coffee and one-upmanship as to who can say the holiest thing. Nothing like that. This is more like the retreats that we used to attend when I was a teenager back in the early 70s where there was no talk. You went in and you closed your mouth. And in those days, we did what we were told. So we really did come out of those retreats much more spiritually balanced in every way. So let's look at what Saint Ignatius begins with. He begins with something very simple. He says, God is my principle, my master and my last end. The first truth is I come from God. Where was I a hundred years ago? I was nothing. If I look back a hundred years, I see the world with its empires, its cities, its inhabitants. I see the sun which shines today, the earth in which I dwell, the land which gave me birth, the family from which I sprung, the name by which I am known. But I, where was I? And where was I before, when even an insect was more important than me? At least they were in existence. But now look, I exist. I possess an intellect, a mind, capable of knowing things. I have a heart that loves. I have senses. I can see, I can hear, I can taste, I can touch. I am in existence, but who gave it to me? Did it happen by chance, by some senseless act? My parents? My parents would have to answer in the words of the mother of Maccabees. No, it was not I who gave you mind and soul. It was the creator of the world. So God created you and the decree of your creation is eternal now like himself. God thought of you and took you from nothingness. And he gave you a place in his thoughts. You were in the mind. You were in the heart. You are loved with an everlasting love. So the first point that we are considering is I come from God. My soul is made in his image. In me is the same attributes. They are an extension of the creator. God created me and has continued his creation during every moment of my existence, through the many hours and moments of my life, he continues in me and makes me live. At this point, we move into the affections and here is his mental prayer. For instance, Job speaks to God and says, What is man that thou should magnify him? Or why dost thou set thy heart upon him? David says in the Psalms, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And let all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all that he has done for me. Thank you for listening to the Meditation and Mental Prayer podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to have a wee look at our meditation journals, go to meditationjournals.com. So, until next time, goodbye and God bless.